Amen. Welcome, everyone. Good to see you. My name is Tim Harris. I am pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church, and that is where you are. And it's a good place, and it's a beautiful day, and I'm so glad that you're here. All of you in cafe, love you guys. Anybody joining us by audio or video podcast, we are uh, here for you as well to worship together with you. God bless you. Cafe folks, you're on your way to Ecclesia today. A lot of you to go and serve them. Uh, one of our partner churches, a new church plan in Bowling Green, really, really exciting. It's Go Serve Day for us here at Woodburn Baptist Church. So our plan is to worship together and then to head out and go serve. We want to do a lot of good today in this community. There are people who wonder if the church is relevant, if the church has anything to offer, if the church has a message, and they'll never know if we don't get outside these walls. And so today is the day that we have set aside to go out and do something for other people. We're going to serve others today. Uh, but first, we're going to worship after worship. Uh, if you have your small group, perhaps. But then we've got sack lunches for you so you can grab lunch and head on out. Uh, it's not so you can grab lunch and go home. Understand it. It's so you can grab lunch and, and head out and, uh, and, and go serve. That is our, our, our point today. The sermon series we're in the middle of is entitled Truth and Dare, Life Outside Your Comfort Zone. And we're operating off of just a few assumptions. The first is from 2 Peter chapter 3.18. Read this verse with me. Grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The basic principle is to grow. The Christian life is a life of development. You should at this point be further along than you were last week, last month, last year when you first came to Christ. You should be developing, becoming more and more like Christ, growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That means growing in grace and knowledge. You should know more uh, about Christ than you did last week, last month. You, you should know more today than you did yesterday. And you should be able to do things in Christ today that you were not able to do yesterday. This is what it means to grow. The problem is most people get stuck. Most people begin their Christian life in, in the spirit. They make progress to a certain point and then they stop making progress. I'm not saying that that's you, but there's a good chance that's you because a lot of people get stuck, that they, they cease to grow. And what we're saying is your Christian life, it shrinks or expands in direct relation to your everyday willingness to do hard things. You get stuck at the place where it simply gets too hard to continue making progress. It causes you to stretch outside your comfort zone. You have to begin working harder, making sacrifices that you suddenly decide you're not willing to make, and therefore you don't grow any further. Your Christian life shrinks or expands in direct relation to your everyday willingness to do hard things. So in this sermon series, we're taking basic principles, basic truths of the Christian life. Last week, we talked about praying with others. Today, I want us to talk about doing good, serving others. We take that basic principle, and then we issue a challenge to help you move beyond your comfort zone, to help you get past the point where it's been too hard to continue to grow. So today's challenge, you ready? It's not something you haven't heard before. Today's challenge, spend two hours helping someone else. Now, if you've been around Woodburn Baptist Church, we talk about the triple two challenge. So every single week, we all aim to spend two weeks in worship, two weeks in study, and two weeks in serving others and doing something for someone other than yourself. If you don't serve, you won't grow basic principle. So we're challenging you to get back to serving. And by serving, I mean doing something for someone else, not just your family. It's not really serving if you're changing your own kid's diaper. Now, if you change somebody else's kid's diaper, that's serving, okay? Now, you should probably ask for permission first. 
But I'm just saying, it's not just about you. It's not just about your family. Anybody can take care of their own family. Anybody can serve their own family. It's when you start having a broken heart for other people's families. You understand? That's when we begin to grow once more in Christ. So today we're going to talk about serving others, doing good for others. And with that, open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6, two verses, 9 and 10. Galatians chapter 6. Verses 9 and 10. In this particular portion of the letter to the Galatians, the the Apostle Paul wrote, Paul is talking about um, the ethical obligations of the Christian life, what what a Christian does, how a Christian lives. And notice that, that, that these two verses sum it all up. The entire ethical obligation, it, it, it kind of comes down to this. Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. So let's not get tired of doing good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we say it, don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Say it again. Whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. Do good to everyone. Most of you, if you haven't been there, I haven't, uh, but I've seen pictures of the Golden Gate Bridge there in, in San Francisco. Um, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's an epic landmark. Uh, everybody knows what it looks like. Um, most people can recognize it. It's, it, it's really something. Uh, but, but besides being this uh, epic landmark and, and feat of architecture, it's also in all the world the, the second most popular destination for those who want to take their own life. It is in all the world the second most place where people will go in order to jump from the rails and plunge into the icy waters of the strait there and commit suicide. I think the most recent estimates say roughly once every two weeks, somebody will jump off that bridge. Once every two weeks. It's just amazing. It's also a horrible, horrible way to die. It's something like 250 feet from the bridge to the water. So by the time you hit the water, you're traveling at something like 75 miles an hour. So at that, at that speed uh, of falling, hitting that water is like hitting concrete. It's a it's, it's horrible way to die, yet people do that uh, just constantly. There was a suicide note found a few years back by a man who lived in San Francisco. He was in his 30s. I don't know much more about him than that. A man in his 30s lived in San Francisco who left a note at his house. It's a suicide note. He was leaving it for his family to say, I'm, I'm walking to the bridge. I'm going to jump. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end my life. I don't, I don't want to live anymore. But, but it was this line. He said, I'm walking to the bridge. If even one person smiles at me between here and there, I won't jump. He jumped. If even one person were to smile, I won't jump. He jumped. Is this really the world that we live in? Is it the world we want to live in where you can't count on even a single smile walking across one of the busiest cities in the United States? You, you can't count on even one person smiling at you. A couple of quotes. This one's by a Pastor John Watson years ago said this, be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. 
battle. You don't think about that. I often don't think about that either. But every person you meet, they don't wear it on the outside, but they're carrying a heavy burden. Everybody is carrying a heavy burden. And so be kind, Pastor John Watson says. The Apostle Paul says it this way in the book of Ephesians, be kind and say this word, Tender-hearted. Tender-hearted would be the opposite of hard-hearted. And most everybody we meet is hard-hearted. They don't seem to have concern. They don't seem to have any feelings for other people. Paul says, be kind and tender-hearted to one another. Be kind. Be kind and tender-hearted to one another. My hunch is a lot of us uh, at Woodburn Baptist Church, a lot of us in this particular Christian family, there was a time when we were more tender-hearted toward other people. I don't, I don't know when that time was, but, but chances are there was a time when you were a, a little kinder, a, a little more tender-hearted, a little more compassionate, a, a little more willing and involved in helping others. W what happened to you? Chances are you started out in, in the Spirit when you became a Christian, and, and you started out because the Spirit started you out growing. You were growing in the fruit of the Spirit, growing in kindness and gentleness and goodness and generosity. You were growing in all of these things and practicing these things because this is the ordinary Christian life. This is how Christians are. Sometimes in certain churches, you wouldn't know it. God help us. But this is how Christians are. Christians are like Christ. Christians bear the fruit of the Spirit, which means if we are in the Spirit, we continue to become more and more kind, more and more good, more and more generous. We grow in these things. We practice these things. It is simply our way of being in the world. But if I were to pull most any one of you aside and ask you, was there a time when you were more likely to be practicing kindness on a day-to-day -day basis? Was there a time in your life when you were more generous with those outside your family? Was there a time in your life when you were more likely to be found doing good for others? Was there a time when you were more outward focused, less selfish, less inward focused? Was there a time when you were much, much more likely to be uh, walking and talking as Jesus would in the world? Or, or, or have you now become much more likely to walk and talk like you? And many of us would have to say, yes, there was a time. There was a time when I seemed to be growing in kindness and, and in doing good. And now I seem to be living this religious life, which is more and more focused on myself. In a church like Woodburn, in most churches in the United States, this is just how it happens. Church people will figure out that church becomes a pretty good thing for us. And so we sort of make it like a social club, sort of like a country club where, where you join and membership has benefits. And we all become very, very concerned for our benefits, what's in it for me. And so we want the church to, to cater more and more to our needs, more and more to our preferences. And we just simply forget that that's not what the church is. That's not what the church is for. Jesus didn't die on the cross just so we could come here and be together and create a nice club that, that will serve us and our families. Jesus sent the church into the world and said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to everything that moves. That's what Jesus said. And make disciples of the whole world. We have a commission. We have a purpose. And that purpose is not about us. It was never about us, but it's not changed so that now it is more about us. But somehow, the longer we sit, the longer we soak, then the more and more self-concerned we become. Why does this happen? 
good folks like some of you who used to be so generous and used to be so, so very turned outward toward doing good toward others. What happened? What is it that makes us stop growing in kindness and, and stop practicing doing good? What is it? Come back to the scripture with me. Galatians chapter 6, start in verse 9. This is probably your story right here. It, it is often mine. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul says, What? So let's not, let's not get tired. Let's not get tired of doing good. Do not become weary in well-doing, the King James would say. That don't get tired of doing good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. When we get tired, I think one way to say this is we run out of compassion. We started out with it. It started out with a lot of concern for other people, just a broken heart for others. You see their needs and you just feel obligated to, to, to serve and meet their needs. But, but the longer you do this, the, the more involved you are with people, the, the longer you do good, sooner or later, you just sort of run out of compassion. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Afraid to admit it? You just run out of it. There, there was a mother who was trying to teach her five-year-old daughter to have more patience more gentleness, be less likely to get frustrated and angry with her little three-year-old brother. The three-year-old brother was just a typical three-year-old, but he was in and out of her room and in and out of her stuff, and, and the little sister just, it, it made her so angry. She would get so mad at her brother. So the mother one morning at breakfast was just trying to talk to the daughter and help her understand how she needs to practice grace and goodness and, and, and patience with her little brother. He was doing the best he could. He was just little. So one morning at breakfast, the, the mom reminded the little girl of a song they sing in church. This little light of mine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You know what? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Yeah, th that one. So reminded, you know, you, you know that song, This Little Light of Mine? She said, sweetie, you need to let the light of Jesus shine when you're with your brother. You need to let the light of Jesus shine so that you don't get angry, you don't get frustrated, you just can love him and be patient with him because he's little. you got to let your light shine. And the little girl seemed to get that. Yeah, this little light of mine. Yeah, she had heard that in church and she was going to let her light shine when she was with her brother, not get angry and frustrated. Mama said it wasn't really maybe an hour. Two hours at the most? I mean, it was that morning, she heard this awful screaming and crying, ah, coming from the little girl's bedroom. And she runs in there, there's a little girl and there's a little brother and everybody's screaming and everybody's crying. And all of a sudden, mom's screaming and crying too, you know. The little brother had gone into the sister's room and got her favorite book and wrote on every page with a magic marker. And so the little girl got so angry, so frustrated, she took the book and popped her brother on the head popped him on the head. So now everybody's mad, everybody's screaming, everybody's crying. So mama pulled the little girl aside and said, honey, we just talked about this at breakfast. Remember, your little brother is little and he's doing the best he can and he doesn't know. And you were going to let your light shine. You were going to let the light of Jesus shine so that you wouldn't get frustrated and angry. Remember, you were going to let your light shine and be patient and be good. You were going to let your light shine. Little girl said, Mama, when I walked in here and I saw my brother in my room, my light just blowed out. <laughs> your light's done blowed out, hadn't it? 
your light blowed out. When does that happen? <laughs> My light's done blowed out too some days. It's just blowed out. Why, why does that happen? We, we have good intentions. I'm going to let my light shine. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to do good. But, but then you, 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 you can say that all the way to work, but then you walk in the door and your light blows out. You, you understand? Or you can say it until you walk in the door of your own house. You, you see your kids and your light just blows out. I, I mean, why does the light blow out? Why is it that it's so difficult not to become weary in doing what is good? Well, well Paul talks about it. Notice what he says. Let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest, a reward of, of blessing if, if, if we don't give up. I think that's the problem. When we do good, we want reward. Either consciously or subconsciously, we seem to expect something back. We, we want a reward for this because it is hard to always do what is good. It is not easy to be patient. If it were easy, everybody would be patient. It is not easy to do good for others because honestly, it's exhausting. And if it were easy, everybody would be good. It is not easy. This is hard work. And that is why even in the Christian family, you see a lot of people who start out on one track of doing good for others, helping others, serving others, but sooner or later, their light gets blowed out. And they give up on that but because it's just hard work and we give up. And that's exactly why Paul says don't. Don't give up. Don't let yourself become weary in this. The weariness comes when, when you expect this reward that, that's not coming, at least not soon. This is what Paul says. Doing good is kind of like farming. There's a season where you're planting and then there's a season for harvesting. And Paul says there is a season for harvesting. That's when the reward comes, but that's not yet. You understand? If doing good is like farming, then there is a season for, for sowing, and that season for sowing is your whole life. You understand? It's your whole life. Your whole life is, is, is a series of moments given you for the purpose of doing good, for the purpose of serving the Lord. And serving the Lord is always going to look like serving your brother, your sister, your neighbor. It's always going to look like that. Your whole life is a season for doing good for others. It's a season for sowing. And so in the season of sowing, you don't expect a harvest. The farmers in, in Warren County, they don't plant the seed and then come around that day with the combine to collect the harvest. It takes time. You have to let the seeds grow. You have to get through the season of planting before you have a season of harvest. So you can't, in this particular season, be expecting reward. It's not coming. Now, the reward that you're looking for, I, I know you're not necessarily asking for applause. You're not wanting that. You're not necessarily asking for anybody to recognize you. You're not trying to be the hometown hero. But a thank you would be nice. I mean, not even a thank you from the whole world. You're not asking for a parade. But the person that you've been feeding for two years, the, you know, the lame brain brother-in-law that you've been supporting for two years, I mean, if he just walk in one day and say thank you, I mean, you know, if somebody just say thank you, or if he would even seem to acknowledge what you're doing. But, but the problem is when you're trying to do good for other people, they'll let you. They'll just let you do it. Some of them will let you do it till Jesus comes. They'll just let you be the good one and they'll be the one that soaks it all in. 
I mean, if you're going to do good to other people, there's going to be a long line of them. Paul says, whenever you have an opportunity to do good, well, what in the world is he thinking? There's always an opportunity because there's always so many people. People just lining up with needs. And, and if you're the one that's going to do good and meet the needs, there's never an end to it. And it gets exhausting. I'm not so much looking for reward. I don't need a parade, but a little bit of thanks, a little bit of acknowledgement. Don't give up. That's what Paul says. There is a season of reward coming. It's not now. So in the meantime, this is the season for doing good. And don't become weary in that. You just keep on doing good. You're not doing good only for the people who are appreciative because a lot of people will never say thank you. That's not the point. And you're not doing good hoping they'll change because I'm telling you, some people just aren't ever going to change until Jesus changes them. And you're not Jesus. Understand? So you just continue to do good and you continue to do what Jesus says for you to do and let Jesus take care of everybody else. They may not change. They may not ever acknowledge what you've done. They may never say thank you, but you just don't give up. You keep doing good. You see, your light gets blowed out because you get frustrated because they don't change. You helped them yesterday and here they are today needing the same help. Your light blows out. Mine does too. I get so frustrated. I don't understand it. I'm not really bipolar or anything, but, but, but when I first start helping you, my heart just breaks for you. And I'll just, I'll give you a kidney out of my body, but probably three weeks later, if you're still needing it, I'll just, you know, one or the other of us, I'm just going to pitch out of a window. You ever just feel that frustration? I do. I do. Maybe that's really depressing to hear your pastor say that. I'm going to pitch you out a window. Just get weary because I sometimes expect the reward. I expect the harvest of righteousness to come pouring in today, and it's just not going to. This is the season for sowing. This is the season for doing good. Your whole life is the season for doing good. Don't give up in it. Don't give up. You'll run out of compassion. You'll run out of concern if you expect the rewards to come in this season. They just won't. Don't, don't be weary Paul says, don't be weary in doing what is right. So if one reason that we get stuck, one reason that we stop growing and doing good is because we run out of compassion, here's the other. Back to Galatians chapter 6, this is verse 10. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, whenever we have the opportunity, that's interesting, because that sounds like Paul's saying whenever you have the time, Whenever you have the time, you should do good for people. And if time is an issue, then, then guess what? You don't have any, do you? And so you have found a loophole right here. You have run out of time. You don't have any time. If Paul's saying, listen, if you got some time, do good for people. Whenever you have the opportunity, just like saying, if you, if you ever have the opportunity, you ought to go try eating at Roosters. Well, I never had the opportunity, but maybe I'll find the opportunity. And you never do, you understand? We think of opportunity as something optional. There's no obligation here, just whenever you get the chance. Well, I don't ever get the chance. So we feel like, you know, the reason we can't do good is we don't have time. We don't have time for other people. I, I've run out of time. And if time is an issue, then here you go. Here's your loophole because you don't have any. Okay, that's not what Paul is saying. When Paul says, whenever you have the opportunity, he's not saying, you know, this would be something really, really good to do in your extra time. 
No. No. Okay, remember, Paul wrote and spoke in the Greek language. I don't write or speak in Greek, so I'm not trying to be something here, but, but, but let me tell you what I've read. Um, for Paul, in, in writing this idea, writing this verse of, about time, he actually had two words. There are two Greek words he could have used. Now, we don't have these words, so there's something lost in translation, but, but Paul had two words for time. The first one is chronos. Chronos, and we get a lot of words chronological. We get a lot of words from chronos. It has to do with time. Chronos is, is clock time, just clock time. The way one second ticks to the next second, the way one minute leads to another minute, the way one hour, one day, one week, time as this never-ending stream that just flows one day into the next. That's chronos. That's clock time. One second is more or less indistinguishable from the second that comes before or after. It's just time, like on the clock, chronos. The other word that Paul could use is, is kairos, and that's the word he uses, kairos. So it's not clock time, it's something else, it's kairos. And kairos is, is sort of a moment of decision sort of thing. It's, it's not clock time, like just one moment indistinguishable from the other. It's the idea of, of this appointment. It's the idea of, of, of a special moment that's been set aside, that's actually been planned in advance. So when Paul uses this word kairos, what he's literally saying is that you're going to have these moments that God himself has set aside. These are, you might say, divine appointments. Are y'all with me? In other words, it's not just another moment, not just another minute of the day. This is an appointment. This is something that God has ordained that you do. Now, interestingly, go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. This is a verse that you've read before, but I really want you to focus on what this actually says because it, it's mind-blowing. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the, say it, we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. We can do the good things God planned for us long ago. So the biblical truth is that your life sort of, sort of is this never-ending stream of moments. That's chronos, clock time. But punctuated in your life, punctuated across the days, the weeks, the months, the years, are these divine appointments, these kairos moments. And this is what Paul says. It's not just opportunity like maybe you'll get some extra time and have the chance. No, Paul is saying you are going to have these divine appointments. You're going to run across these moments when you have the opportunity to do these good things, but God planned this for you. It's not an accident. It's not just coincidental that somebody crosses your path and they have a need and there you are. You understand? That's not a coincidence. These are good things God planned for us long ago. Learn to see your life not so much in terms of chronos clock time, but learn to see your life as kairos moments because these are the divine appointments. Are you with me? Are y'all mad at me? See, the, the thing is that these opportunities are planned. These are planned. God has these moments planned for you, these opportunities for you to do good. 
But these opportunities to do good will almost always come disguised as interruptions. Because you live in chronos, you live in clock time. When you go to work, you clock in and you clock out. Some of you, you don't ever take your watch off or you keep your phone and your phone is your clock and you're constantly keeping up with the time. You're counting those seconds and your day is so tightly scheduled. And that's your problem. When the Kairos moment comes, when this moment to do good, the good that God planned for you a long time ago, when that moment comes, it's always going to look like an interruption, an interruption of what you had planned to do. Because here's the thing, God may have planned this a long time ago, but you weren't planning it. You really rarely get to plan it. It, it just, it, it comes into your day, it comes into your life as an interruption. It's that neighbor who seems to need to talk. You ask her how she's doing and she breaks down into tears. And the first thing you think is, oh, I don't have time for this. You think you don't have time for that? It's when you run across a child who seems to need help, a child at the mall or in Walmart who's crying, and you should stop and help, but you're thinking, I don't have time. I've lost my own kids. You understand? It's always that interruption. It always comes as an interruption. The person who just collapses, who breaks down at work, these are opportunities to do good. Opportunities that God planned for you a long time ago. This is no accident. It's not a coincidence. Did you understand? This is what your life is about. So Paul says, whenever you have the opportunity, whenever you see that one of these moments to do good, recognize that as a divine appointment. God has put you there and God has placed them there. And everything in both of your lives all up to this moment brings you to this place. So don't fail. Don't miss it. Don't imagine that you can just walk past this opportunity and come back to it. What's the old saying? Opportunity only knocks once. The opportunity that you have to do good today will not be the same opportunity you'll have tomorrow. And you may never have the opportunity to do today what is before you. You, you can't expect that. You, you can't plan that. The, the point is God has a plan. God owns your time and, and my time too. So just a couple of just a, a, a couple of thoughts here. Let me say this first. Always let what you're doing be interrupted by what God wants to do. I, I know that's hard. Always let what you're doing be interrupted by what God wants to do. If you can't be interrupted, you will be of very little use to God. Understand? If you can't be interrupted, if you really think that what you're doing is so absolutely important that, that it, is, it takes priority over God's work, then you really have some priorities out of line. If you think that you can't stop along your way to help the, the wounded man in the ditch, then, then there's something profoundly wrong with, you, with what you call your Christian faith. Always let what you're doing be interrupted by what God wants you to do. Number two, helping others is not something you do just whenever you have the time. Helping others is what your time is for. Understand? It's not just what you do when you have the time. Some of you will never have the time. Understand? There's just so much TV watching to do. You know, I mean, you've got to run that Swiffer three times a day because a fleck of dust may land in your house and, you know, and the world ends when your house gets dusty. I mean, I mean, you know, you know, 
I mean, you, you've got that bread starter to feed and that yard to mow and all of these things. They're so important. You understand? We, we fill our lives. We, we fill up every single moment of the schedule. And I think part of what Paul is saying here is, is that you've got to in some way keep your life uncluttered. If you were too busy to help others, then, then honestly, you're doing a lot of things in your life that God never intended that you do. Because God wouldn't ask you to help others and, and then God, you know, give you so many other things to do that you don't have time. If you don't have time to serve the Lord and serve others, then you are doing things that God never intended you do. Why don't you take a serious look at your schedule with God and start trimming things? You're wasting the time he's given you to do his work. You understand? So helping others is not just something you do whenever you have the time. It's what your time is for. This is why you're here. In those kairos moments of the day, those divine appointments, if you miss that, you understand? If you miss that, then you can't say that you accomplished God's purpose, God's will for your life. Here's the last one. No matter what else you accomplish, if you fail to do the good that God intended you to do today, you fail. No matter what else you accomplish, you got your whole to-do list done, but you miss the divine appointments of the day. You, you neglected to help the neighbor. You, you neglected to talk to the friend. You neglected to share the gospel. No matter what else you accomplish, if you fail to do the good that God intended you to do today, you fail. And if you're not in conversation with God, you don't know what he wanted you to do today. You're not listening. And honestly, that's why some of you don't listen. You say, Pastor Tim, I don't know, I don't know, but God just never seems to talk to me. I really don't believe that. I really don't. I just really believe that in many, many cases we don't listen because when God speaks, he almost always asks you to do something. And some of us have no intention of letting him interrupt our lives. We have no intention of, of stopping what we are doing and getting on board with, with what God wants done. It's so much easier to say God never speaks to me than to live a life of listening obedience. You understand? So God has things that he wants you to do today. There are kairos moments in every single day, divine appointments, and you can't miss those appointments. You can't walk past them. You can't act like helping others is some sort of option. It is your obligation. When Paul says, whenever you have the opportunity, he's not giving you a choice here. The opportunity is the obligation. These are the divine appointments. This is what God wants you to do. And if you don't do it, that's sin. You understand? So whenever you have the opportunity, Paul says, you do good to everyone. Who's everyone? Well, the Greek word there, it means everyone. It doesn't matter the color of their skin. It doesn't matter if they speak English. It doesn't matter if they're born in Kentucky, if they're born in Tennessee. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they're gay or straight. It doesn't matter if they're transgendered. Is that the new thing? That doesn't matter either. You do good to everyone. You do good to everyone. You don't get to discriminate. You don't get to pick and choose. If they are in your path with a need, there you are. It's a divine appointment. You do good to them. Everyone. So it's sort of a universal obligation. We're going to do good to everybody, everybody, but then especially, interesting, especially those in the household of faith, especially those fellow believers, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So it's not that anybody is, is bracketed out of this. You do good to everybody, but then especially those, you pay special, special attention to those in the, in the household of faith. 
We don't ignore anybody. But we sure don't walk past each other on our way to taking care of the world. So here's your challenge. Get back to doing good. I say get back. If you never, ever have done any good, won't you start today? Start today. Do good to everyone. It's not going to be convenient for you. They may never change. You're doing good to them may not necessarily make them any better. I don't see any place here where, where it says that you only do good to those who seem to respond with gratitude or change. And no, you just keep doing good. Don't get tired of it. Don't get weary in it. Don't run out of concern. Don't let your light blow out. And don't ever think that you don't have time. This is what your time is for. This is what your life is about. The, the, the job you get paid for has almost nothing to do, perhaps, with the season of sowing and reaping that we're involved in in the spiritual life. You sow now, and there's some harvest of righteousness to come later. But for now, you just keep on doing good to everybody. And, and don't get weary in that. Start today. Start today. I'm asking you to give two hours, and I'd like you to give two hours today if, if you would accept that challenge. I'm not telling you what to do. There's a whole world out there, and I don't know what your divine appointments are. But keep your eyes open today. Look for an opportunity to do something for somebody today. And if you can't find anything else, we'll find you something. We have a long list of projects and needs today, and every one of them is something you could do. It's called a Go Serve Day. It's when we've got lunch, so literally you can give you a bag of lunch on your way out the door. It's not about sitting down and having a big meal together today. Don't be sitting down having a big meal together today. Get out, go, serve. You understand that this isn't about us. It's about everyone else. And according to Scripture, we have an obligation to everyone else out there. And it's simple. We do good to them. With every opportunity, we do good. So pray with me. God, there is a world of people out there who no longer think of Christians as people who mean to do them good. We're often known for all of the things that we are against, but we no longer seem to be known for the things that we are for, things like doing good. Unfortunately, Lord, in our culture, the church is no longer seen as a refuge, a place to go for help. Unfortunately, Lord, the church is more known for all of the things that we're against, the political party that we align ourselves with, Lord. We are known for so many things, but loving kindness and goodwill, doing good for others, Lord, it's something that seems to no longer be a part of our reputation. The community of Woodburn, Lord, with so few people within the spitting distance of our front porch in the very shadow of our steeple, Lord, most of them live their entire lives and never really experience anything good coming from our church. We go knock on their door. We leave a flyer on their doorknob, Lord, but when it comes to actually meeting needs, all we have is an invitation to come to church again. Lord, they need to know that we love them and that we will do good for them if we never see them inside the walls of our church. We will go to them. 
Bible never says, Lord Jesus, that the world's supposed to come to church, but it does say that the church is supposed to go to the world. Lord, I pray that you would take us outside of our comfort zone. Help us to stop thinking, Lord, this church is a place where we can go and we ourselves can simply be lifted up and pampered and served, Lord. Help us to come to church so that we get the power and strength we need to go outside and live our lives to serve others. Lord, the obligation is plain. We know that you have ordered our lives in such a way where there are everyday moments, divine appointments set aside for us to do good. But Lord, some of us live our lives week after week, month after month, and we don't do anything for anybody but ourselves. We spend every dime on ourselves, on our own family. We do everything, Lord, with only the concern of how we can possibly help ourselves do better for ourselves. Jesus, help us to disappear into you, O Christ, that we may not be seen, that we may not even look at ourselves, but that we might simply shine a light for you, O Christ. The dark world, no question. There's a lot of needs, a lot of people, Lord. So send us out. Send us out to do good, Lord, and and to serve so that the world will believe that you are a God who loves them, a God whose heart breaks for them, Help them to know, Lord, that you care and help them to know that we care so that they will believe us, Lord, when we tell them that you are the way of salvation. There will be opportunities for us today and every day. Lord Jesus, help us not to miss a single opportunity to do the good that you have planned for us to do long ago. Help us, Lord, not to miss and give thanks for every single interruption. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want you to stand, give a moment for worship and response. The altar is open if you wish to come forward and pray. Maybe you just need to pray and ask God to show you who, to show you where, to show you what you need to do. He will. If you feel like God never speaks to you, ask him a question, then just listen and just ask him today, God, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to serve? Who is it out there that needs the help that I can give today? You just ask and God will show you. I promise he'll show you. You just have to be willing to ask and listen and then obey. However he sends you out, however he speaks to your heart right now, say yes to him. Say yes to him. Is there a song? Okay. No, that's fine. I remember that we said that now. I forgot. Yeah.